I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Thank you for joining the conversation on Colloquium. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm, please visit excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Hello and welcome to the conversation on Colloquium. Today I have with me my second victim to do this live with, forcing her to do it. Consider her an integral part of the team. Ashley Kent, how are you? I'm good. How are you today? You made the long trek from Chattanooga, Eastern time zone. Scary. I did. I gained an hour though. So time travel. Good. Pretty time exciting. travel. It's great. I'm here. So you're on the website. We are doing an initiative where we're interviewing everybody who's on the team. Partially because I think people like to know the team members, but the stories are always compelling to understand what goes on behind the machine that is Excelsior Capital at this point. And I've said this before on, on podcasts and, and when I'm a guest, you know, this first iteration of the business, I made a lot of mistakes. The second one, when I was trying to not step in those potholes again, the, the two first things I knew I needed to do, hire a controller, be Jared, who I've already victimized on here. He's the best. Love him. Well, well let's... We don't want to blow his head up let's, too much. Let's worry so. about that later. Yeah. And then the second one was take my marketing seriously and hire a professional. And after I talked to a lot of other people, I, you know, you were the only one that said yes. So lucky me. First time we met, you were actually doing the coffee networking deal when you were working with a startup in Nashville. Do you remember what year that was? Back in like 2015, 2016. Because we met through Eller. Yep. A jumpstart. And yeah, I, I was in my very, very first job coming out of college. I knew absolutely nothing. And I mean, I knew so little that I Googled real estate investors and <laughs> Brian somehow popped up. So I guess he had some sort of marketing at that point. But 
you know, I was doing was trying to meet with investors and, you know, he did absolutely nothing that it helped me, you know, with our company. But, you know, what he did do was after our meeting sent off probably about 10 to 15 emails and introducing us to so many people across Nashville. And that was just an incredible introduction. And, you know, he himself couldn't help me, but the networking paid off dividends. And so that was when I was running Priam. And I remember when I was getting Excelsior started, I reached out to a a number of what I would call GPs, sponsors, professional investors, especially in Nashville, to get their opinion about who I should hire. And and Vic Gatto, who's a very close family friend, I said, you know, Vic, I want to do this the right way, this iteration. My marketing is non-existent slash terrible. And he said, you're right. It is bad. It's really bad. You should hire Ashley. And so teed up the coffee meeting. Bell meets Starbucks, probably, if I had to guess. Exactly where it was, round two. And at that point, I don't think we even have a, had a website, right? Definitely not. So talk about, before we get into how wonderful you've been with us and how bad we were before, like what happened with the startup that blew up, right? I mean, I think that's a fair Yeah, definitely, definitely blew up. How did you land on what you're doing today? Yeah, so rewind back to 2016 actually on my way over here i drove by the little house that we all worked in um so a lot of nostalgia there it was one of the hardest best two years of my life working at that startup so the company was called honeyco homes um it had all of the promise in the world it had an incredible team incredible financial backing i came across the job on angel.com. I don't think that the founder even read my resume because I was not qualified for the job that he hired me for. Um, But, you know, I think I can kind of BS my way through a lot of things. And he talked to me. He liked me. I think thought I was bright, hired me on the spot, came in. I was the first hire of the company. And I mean, day one, he was like, I need you to figure out our accounting. When I say he didn't read my resume, I graduated with a kinesiology degree. Mm. Like I do not have a marketing degree, but I was just trying to fake it until I made it. And so came in and he asked me to do accounting. I didn't take a single business class in college. I literally know everything about your human anatomy. I know nothing about accounting. So I got in there. I figured it out. I ran all of our accounting. And then, you know, he had me working on product design, had me working on sales, hence meeting Brian at one point. I was literally doing everything, you know, fell under the title of operations because that's what you give people when they do literally everything and you don't know what else to call them. Um, So that's exactly what I did. And in that time, we, you know, because it was such a small team, we knew we needed help with marketing at the time. And we kept talking to all of these marketing firms. They were even smaller ones here in Nashville. And, you know, they kept pitching us, you know, to be running all of these ads and to be doing all this stuff just basically ripping through. I mean, we raised 1.2 million, but you know, that can go away like that when you're running ads. So they just didn't understand what we were trying to do, the stage that we were in. And I saw this hole in the market where people needed marketing help. These small teams needed marketing help. They didn't need a full-time person, um, but they needed someone that would at least be somewhat invested in them and their story and in their growth. And so that's where when I saw the writing on the wall with the company saying that it was about to implode, um, actually, the founder was wonderful. He knew it was imploding as well. He told us, you know, I'll pay you guys for the, the next month. And I basically used that month to network like crazy across Nashville, met with, you know, all of the different investment groups that I had worked with previously. 
that we were when we were trying to fundraise because I knew I wanted to work with startups. I knew I wanted to work in somewhat within the investment space. And then I think that's how eventually I got connected with Jumpstart again. They once again trusted me <laughs> to help out with their marketing. And then from then on, I launched this company, Clear Start Creative, and literally the rest is history. It's It's been a wild ride, but it's been the best, best time ever. And I think we were your third client. Is that right? You were my third client. I had Jumpstart. I had one other client and then it was you guys. So let's let's frame this up a little bit. Lily, who's our internal VP of marketing, and I had a call recently with Dr. Adam Gower. He's considered a, you know, somebody of the highest reputation when it comes to crowdfunding, which we use in kind of a generalist sense, not the regulatory sense. And um, he has a great newsletter. He's written these great books. He's very much, he was very much early in the crowdfunding space. And he typically will call people like me and then run through a quote unquote diagnostic review of everything we're doing. And then he'll pitch his consulting services, right? I mean, this is the business and I'm sure he's very good. We went under the hood and he said that we were probably one of the most sophisticated, savvy sponsors he's ever talked to when it came to marketing. And that the only thing that he thought we could do is Facebook ads. ads. (laughs) (laughs) And so it was a huge feather in the cap for us, obviously, because we take a lot of pride in this. But could you maybe rewind the tape? And do you remember the first, I don't know, I guess, meeting we had onboarding you with Jared and going through what we had and where we needed to go? And that was, what, three years ago? I mean, even rewinding before that, our meeting at Starbucks, I remember you sitting me down and you're just like, I don't care about getting a new leads. I can network like crazy. I'm great at networking. What we need help with today are just investor communications. They don't know what's happening. We don't know how to get out new deals. Like they they know nothing. So that's really where I need your help. I, I can do all the sales. I can do all the networking, but you know, let's just let's start off with some investor communications. Let's let's email them, you know. <laughs> radical send them notes. <laughs> send them notes. Let's uh, you know do some of that. And so that's where I came and I was like, all right, well, this is a good, easy job. This is kind of as low hanging fruit as you get. So we started off doing that and you could see it immediately in Brian's eyes. Uh, wow, this works. People like this. People like hearing from us because what else can we do? Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, literally it's just snowballed from there. And, you know, I say this every single day. And honestly, when I am interviewing potential new clients, we've been fortunate enough to now we're, we can be picky over who we bring on as clients, but I'm very forthright in saying in order for us to both be successful, I need for you to put in as much as we're putting in. Because so many people think that marketing can just be this magic bullet and, you know, we, we slap on some beautiful graphics and all of a sudden everything is just going to take off. We have the most amazing email copy and it's just going to convert everyone. And yeah, well, that's extremely important, especially on the sponsor level, if, you know, you guys aren't bought into it and aren't playing your part, you know, you're not going to see the return um, on that. And then I would say Brian was the very first one that just once he saw it start to work, I mean, I think he's just an ambitious person anyways. He just, I mean, he took it and ran with it. If anyone has seen his LinkedIn, you will know what I mean. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, that's what I, you know, tell everyone when I'm interviewing them. It's it's a two-way street here. You know, we can do, we're going to work really hard and we're going to work fast and we're going to get in there, but we need you to also do the same. And so I remember we had that kind of conversation with Jared. And I remember going to the team at that point, it was, I guess, William and Sam. Mm -hmm. And I said, this is going to be a priority within the company 
that we are going to, whatever Ashley tells you to do, you're going to do it with all of your energy. It's not going to be a back burner type of thing. And I don't care if you think it's the silliest thing in the world. We're going to get outside of our comfort zone and we're going to start doing these type of things because it's going to help the company grow. And that, you know, didn't go over great, right? Because especially in this finance space, we're dealing with these alpha male people. They don't like to, to be told what to do and they just want to work on the deals, right? And especially within the sponsor community in real estate, people don't want to talk about marketing and sales all the time. They just want to talk about how smart they are and how great they are. But I remember you saying, if you're the world's best kept secret, it's not a real company. And to kind of get over that that ego barrier and start putting yourself out there a little bit more. And I remember Jared did the first co-branded, I guess it was a webinar with the self-directed IRA. And he was, I remember he had like a stack of books and a laptop and we just kind of winged it. And he was horrified and he did not want to do it. And I wouldn't do it. The reason that he was the one who did the first one because I refused to do it because I was scared to go on camera, which now considering I've got like a full TikTok influence set up at my house, it's, it's funny to look back on it. But do you see that as a recurring theme that you've got to kind of convince people or do you think they're there now that they've seen this and they're they're comfortable with doing what you tell them to do? I see everything. Honestly, a lot of the people that have seen you, I've gotten a lot of clients from you and Oh, we're going to get into the LinkedIn post. Uh Yeah. You know, I've gotten a lot of clients where they've seen what Brian's doing and I'll have people come in. They're like, I want what Brian does. And they're like, are you doing these posts? Are you doing that? And I was like, I've told him what to do. Brian's running with it. And that goes back to my point of this is a two way street. But so we have people that are, you know, they come in and they're ready to just go for it. They're like, whatever you say, you know, we'll do, we'll implement. And that's the really important thing I always point out with my clients. You know, we set everything up so that you can just show up, be there, talk, and you're done. And so, you know, we make it as easy as possible. It's just really getting over that fear of me being in front of the camera, sitting in front of a microphone, talking, as long as you can just be there. And, you know, if you truly know your stuff, it's going to resonate with people. And so we have those people. I definitely have clients that still think that, you know, marketing is, you know, the magic bullet. And at the end of the day, those aren't the right clients for me because it's just not going to be a good relationship. And I can, like I said, I, I, that's why I'm pretty forthright in my initial conversations now with people so that they kind of know the expectations on my side as well. But for those people, you know, they eventually start to come around almost every single time because when they're resisting it, they're like, why isn't this working? You're not listening to me. We need to get you out there. And especially within this investment space, within the financial space, you have to position yourself as an industry leader, expert. I mean, people are trusting you with large sums of capital. And if you, you know, if they don't know anything about you, they can't trust you, then why on earth would they you know, trust you with their life inheritance that they're trying to grow? So that's why, you know, this is different than product marketing. It's, it's a completely different beast, which has just been really interesting that I've fallen into this world where we've had this very unique niche where, you know, we really understand what it takes to, you know, market yourself in the investment space. And it's been fun and people are definitely starting to come around. But you also have the people that have had a family office for years and this is how they do it. And they're like, I just need a logo. I'm like, well, you're not the right client for me. Yeah. Well, you've earned that privilege. I mean, you've put the work in, you worked with buffoons like me and kind of led me down the path to to enlightenment, which was, I'm, I'm sure, challenging. But uh, one of the things that, that we've realized internally is, to your point, you can get the playbook, but unless you execute on it, it doesn't really matter, right? So when people come to me and they say, who's your marketing person? I'm happy to make the introduction. 
Although I tell them, I don't know if she's taking new clients on. Then I, if it's in person or on the phone, I, and I say, listen, th- to your point, this isn't just a, a click funnel type of thing where you set it up and you just, I mean, you've got to build the infrastructure. You've got to get the buy-in internally. You've got to take it seriously. It takes time and money. I mean, this podcast, for instance, I remember when we started it up, I committed to doing 100 episodes because most people, I think the average is like 22 episodes that people end up doing. And I've been on a guest of, God, 200 shows probably at this point. And there just aren't a lot of people that are willing to put that time and effort in, right? But we built all these systems to get me on those shows. We built these systems to have me have great guests and to take care of everything post-production. But it, it's not its not just, it happens. I mean, we have people who are coming into our investments today that are saying, literally, yeah, I connect to you on LinkedIn. I started following what you're doing over the last two years, and, and now I'm ready to have a conversation. And that's not atypical, but it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, I mean, the sales cycle within this space, like you have to win their trust. And there are a lot of touch points that have to happen for that to be the case with these people. And it's not just doing, you know, five podcasts a week and, you know, putting yourself out there as some expert. It's, you know, being on other people's shows. It's on putting out different types of content pieces. All of those are just reinforcing someone's trust in you to get them to the point where they're ready to move forward. That's where, you know, I basically applied a lot of the elements that come into play with product marketing into this space, but personified it a bit. And so, you know, Brian's not a product, but he is a person and, you know, people invest with people. And so that's where we were just really focused on, you know, building his personal brand. And that was just kind of step number one. Um, He had a huge network, but, you know, we were trying to figure out how do we best leverage that network for the sake of Excelsior Capital. So in terms of lessons learned from your perspective, as you built your own company and been your own entrepreneur, I remember you, (laughs) I don't remember when this was, probably when was the LinkedIn post? When did I put that up? A year and a half ago? Yeah, it's funny. I actually had a client who they were like, you know, I think this has been great. You know, I think we're ready to to grow, move on, and which I actually haven't had much attrition, which has been incredible. So at the moment, I was like, oh, my gosh, I, I just hired a new employee. Like, I got to keep paying her. And so I asked Brian, I was like, hey, you have a great following. Let's leverage this. I helped build this. Let's leverage this. Well, you were hesitant. You were like worried. You were concerned that I was going to th- like think almost poorly of you that you had lost a client because they have, they, have, they they grew, right? They took on some big round of capital or something. Yep. These VC guys thought they had a better marketing person. I mean, it happens. And I remember saying, Ashley, you tee up the copy and I will rip this on LinkedIn. And I posted it and I want to say it got like two, three, 4,000 views and a bunch of reshares. And I got five or six people reaching out to me and reaching out to you directly. And I think you were probably overwhelmed. You underestimated the work product that you had created with our firm. I mean, what was the react? What was your reaction like when that went "quote unquote" viral? I was blown away. I mean, you know, I was just trying to replace one client, and all of a sudden, I had a funnel. I mean, it was actually it was more than five. It was probably like at least eight or ten people I was having conversations with. The ironic thing is that client never actually left, and they're still with us <laughs> clients today. They couldn't they couldn't cut ties uh, and they're actually about to raise another round, um, which is really exciting. 
But from that, I think that single post we brought on, you know, I think it was like three additional clients and, you know, still we keep growing. And, you know, I've been extremely, extremely fortunate that, you know, all of my clients are referrals. I'm the first to say Clear Start Creative might have the worst marketing um, for a marketing firm. I actually, Cobbler's children. Yeah, yeah. I, I literally have not updated my website since I built it. You've and been a little busy. Been a little busy. I had two kids, you know, grew up, grew a company. Um, but I truly, I'm so focused on my clients' marketing that could kind of care less about what mine looks like. So, you know, if you go to my Squarespace site and you see, you know, this antiquated site, don't judge me by that. You can judge me by my clients and yeah, marketing. The client yeah, look at the client roster and that's what you can, you know, judge me from. What do you think has been the most effective kind of procedure or strategy that you've put in place since you started the firm? I mean, every client's different, right, in terms of where they're coming from baseline. But in terms of if people... Let me put it this way. If somebody listening is thinking about hiring you or another third-party marketer, and and I still take the pitches in the meeting because I'm always curious what people are doing, right? Like I take the coffee meeting with other third-party marketers because I want to autopsy what they're telling their clients. It's usually nothing different than what we're doing other than ads. But I mean, what are the right questions to ask somebody? Because as you alluded to earlier, there's a lot of pretenders in the space that they think they're just going to pay for ads and throw money at the problem. And it's automatically going to bring in all these investors. If you were on the other side of the table, what are the questions that you should be asking these people? Asking the marketing? Yeah. I think one of the reasons why we've been so successful with our clients is that we really form a true partnership with them. It isn't, you know, we come in and do a project and we, you know, wipe our hands clean and say, all right, good luck and leave it there. The way that I set up our relationships is it's a long-term relationship. And so we kind of come in as someone's marketing department. And I think that's what's made us so successful with some of our clients because, you know, you may talk to a marketing firm and yeah, they're going to build you the most beautiful website ever. All right. Well, what, what about after that? Someone can come in and, you know, do an audit of your social media and it's going to be incredible for two months. What about after that? It's all of the maintenance and the ongoing evolution of marketing that really, really matters. And that's why I create the relationships that I do. And we are very strategic about our partners because they're, they're, these are long-term relationships. I, I do month-to-month contracts with my clients, but, you know, knowing that, you know, it's funny, someone actually had me send them a proposal and they were saying, can you please outline, you know, like what everything is going to look like? And and they laughed afterwards and they're like, this is the loosest marketing proposal I've ever seen in my life. I feel like it really said nothing. And I was like, yeah, that's because you're a small business and I can, you know, outline, you know, all right, we're going to start off, you know, with a brand revamp. We're going to then, you know, implement that into a website, apply that across, you know, all of your social media, all of your marketing collateral, X, Y, Z. You know, I can package that up for you. But at the end of the day, you know, we are here to be your true partner and we're going to tackle the problems at hand. Because if you have someone that can only do set things for you, the other things are going to fail because you don't have that support along the way. And I think that is what has made Excelsior so great. Like I said, he came in wanting to just, you know, communicate better to his investors. That was the problem he could see today. So, I mean, if you go back to my proposal to you, that's probably what it talked about. But that that wasn't it. it. We've evolved, we've grown. And I think that is what is so important. And, you know, if someone just wants to th- like, Ads are great. They're incredible. That's why Facebook is just, it's huge. And Instagram, it's huge. But 
within this space, it's credibility and it's a, it's a different type of marketing. And, you know, I'm actually like so proud to say we've never invested a single ad dollar for Excelsior. Yeah. And I'm not sure if I even ever told you this, but I've got a good friend, New York guy. He's worked at two of the top 10 crowdfunding websites in the States, names you'd know. And he reached out to me probably a year ago and said, all right, like, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean? He said, on the marketing side, you're doing all these things. I don't understand, like the LinkedIn content strategy, Capital Club, which always confuses people, the podcast. He told me that they're spending $120,000 a month on ads and they're not working. I said, well, have you tried like inbound content marketing? He said, no, everyone says it's a lot of work. So, well, you know, you could take part of the budget, get a professional in there and you could take it seriously and not just throw money at the problem and you could see what happens. And he said, I don't think I could get by in there. Sounds about right. And that's why there are right clients and there's wrong clients. And, you know, but I think eventually those are the people that end up coming around and they see the benefits of it. And not to say that, you know, we didn't we haven't spent money on ad dollars, but we spend a lot of hours on building content. We spend, you know, we're sitting here in a podcast studio now. You know, money can be spent in different ways, but I think that the value that we derive from the efforts that we're doing are bringing in such greater quality leads than someone who is scrolling through Instagram, sees some ad and, you know, it may be someone who's only it's just considering, you know, investments. It may not be our target audience. And so that's why I'm I'm just very, very focused on I love content marketing. I think it's extremely powerful. And that was the the very second thing that we implemented after <laughs> improving investor communication. After starting a website and having a, a monthly newsletter, I think is probably yeah. where we started. I think that's where we were. With MailChimp. Yeah. I, probably I quickly got us off of that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you got to start somewhere. <laughs> got to right? start somewhere, and it comes with humility, and that leads me to my next question: What is it about financial services, the real estate sponsored community, whatever population you want to kind of clump us together in? Why are they so hesitant and resistant to to, to doing the marketing piece? I don't think they want to be in the public eye. There's pride. Maybe they think that it sometimes can come across as cheesy. They may think that it may take away from their credibility if, you know, they're doing these marketing efforts. But really, I think it's it just depends on how you do it. We all know those people within our industry that, yeah, it's extremely cheesy and you get completely turned off by what they're doing. It's just in your face marketing. And I think that if you can hold true to your character your personality come through in what you do, then, you know, it's not going to come across as as cheesy or in your face or pushy. It's going to come across as valuable. Um, and so everything that you're working on has to provide value to your end client and customer. And if you keep that goal in mind that this is going to be valuable to them um, and something worthwhile for them to interact with, then you're going to find the right client and you don't need to be afraid to be out there and people aren't going to aren't going to judge you for it. They're going to respect you for it. And uh, to piggyback on top of that, I feel like there's hesitation from the personal branding standpoint. People feel comfortable talking about the company and maybe they'll feel comfortable about doing their background and the pitch, but they don't really want to have a personal brand necessarily because they think it detracts. But it's been my experience that it's, it's been additive to the overall story. And to your point, especially in our business where we're, I mean, Warm bodies are investing in our deals. Like they're humans. 
and humans like to work with humans and you've got to humanize yourself at some some level and i think there's just discomfort especially amongst middle-aged white men to do that would you agree absolutely i mean i think this might be one of the most resistant industries to great for us yeah which is i mean really we can really stand out pretty easily but i think yeah it's just getting over that mental hump you had the mental hump that's why jared did the very first webinar he, you didn't want to be in front well, of the camera he just is he loves the publicity yeah, he just yeah. loves being in front of the camera yeah. it's his favorite still yeah. he, he would be rolling his eyes if he didn't <laughs> see us right now but i remember not in a creepy way but slacking you on a friday night a couple of tequilas in and just the realization hitting you right like i think we just gone over our kpis and we had a, a number of new investors coming through and realizing, man, this really works, but nobody's doing this. It's a pretty wide open opportunity. And you were like, yeah, bingo, exactly. This is what I've been trying to tell you for a long time now. But it did take COVID in that calming period. I mean, you were working with us pre-COVID and we were doing these blocking and tackling things, baseline work. But it wasn't until I stopped traveling and had time to reflect and think through, okay, how are we actually going to do this? That's when we really got kind of deep into the game, I think. I mean, COVID was actually, I think, such a starting point for Excelsior to take off because at that point you were, yeah, like you said, you were still doing your in-person networking. You were pushing sales. That's where your your headspace was. And like you said, we were, you know, just sending out a newsletter. We were extremely basic. But when that completely stopped and you couldn't take on meetings anymore, you know, Actually, I remember when COVID first happened, my husband was like, okay, like marketing is the first thing to go in any company. Um, you know, they're going to cut, you know, extraneous expenses. You'll be in. It was actually, <laughs> yeah, a lot of faith in me. He had. That's why he's a lawyer. Yeah, that's why he's a lawyer. <laughs> um, but, you know, I saw the exact opposite. People couldn't do sales anymore. So then everyone wanted to start investing more in their marketing. And, from that standpoint, I mean, that's when webinars just completely took off Zoom. I mean, look at, I'm sure their stock is crazy. And it was something that was really incredible for Excelsior. It was kind of the first time y'all dipped your toes into the world of, you know, kind of that that personal brand content marketing beyond just blogs. I think everyone can hide behind the shield of a blog. And I will, you know, say all day long, blogs are so important for SEO when structured correctly. That is my my plug for the day. But, you know, being able to do webinars, that was, I think, the first time y'all really saw, holy crap, this works. Because for me, I always say, you know, whatever we do, I want to be sure that we're capturing leads. Um, webinars were one of the strongest tools for us because we were getting signups left and right. And, you know, we, all of a sudden we're getting all of these inbound leads that we could start nurturing. You weren't having to, you know, have coffee with 10,000 people. You could just follow up with people from a webinar that came in and they had already basically had an com initial conversation with you because they've heard you talk for an hour on a webinar. They knew what you were about. And all of a sudden the conversations were shifted and they changed. They weren't cold anymore. And you can really see the power of, you know, what video can do, what putting a personality behind content can do. And I remember the, I don't even remember, I'm not good with timelines, but the SPAC webinar, we hit that thing at like the most incredible timing perspective and we crushed it. And I think it's still probably one of the better producing SPAC videos on YouTube. And we've gotten investors coming through one of our biggest LPs that we're going to go visit and do a lunch and learn and a full day with later in next month. He reached out because he was doing an internal presentation about SPACs, Googled it, saw our webinar as a YouTube video, and reached out to me directly. 
And Pretty powerful stuff. That's the power of content marketing. Yeah. I mean, it's, and it had nothing to do with real estate. No, not right. at all. He just saw you as a person and you had prioritized educating your community. And whether that was on real estate or, or SPACs, um, yeah, that SPAC webinar actually, I mean, it was, it was crazy. <laughs> the timing of that. I mean, that's where, yeah. I mean, marketing is, you know, there's a lot of strategy behind it, but sometimes like you can get really lucky. Yeah, we just and got lucky on that one. That was Great. a really lucky one. All of a sudden our, our website traffic just, I mean, was off the charts because um, no one else had been presenting on it. We had video, blog, we had all all kinds of content on it. And I mean, to this day, I think we've moved down under like Investopedia or something. But, you know, we're still one of the very top, you know, articles on SPACs right now. Jared's first reaction is, well, let's just keep doing that. Why are KPIs down? I don't understand, Ashley. What's going on here? I know. That's why I said marketing isn't magic. It's not It's not a magic bullet, but it's extremely powerful. And an important lesson, I, I've learned many things from you, but a big one, and especially within real estate, which I don't understand, there's this tendency to almost cannibalize each other and just talk about real estate and only have real estate people on your podcasts, your webinars, your meetups. And we intentionally have gone to, in a very different direction. I mean, certainly we talk about real estate and have professionals on here, but we're, we're very oriented towards just being a thought leader within the alternative space or private equity in general. And that's made a big difference. And you want to comment on that in terms of how you work with other clients and how you think through what we're trying to provide from a, a content perspective? It all goes back to what I was saying about it. whatever you provide needs to be valuable to your end target. So whether that's a presentation on SPACs or real estate, if this piece of content is speaking to that target audience that you are trying to reach, it's going to work for you at the end of the day. And so, you know, get outside of your small bubble um, and think about, you know, what are some other like competition may be extremely high for commercial real estate investing. But when there's no other <laughs> articles out there on I keep going back to SPACs on SPACs, you know, that's your opportunity and you can get in there and you can rank for it and you can capture your target audience. And, and a good reminder that sometimes it's good to get out of your own head as a sponsor in a GP, because in your world, you think I follow all these real estate people on LinkedIn or Twitter or Instagram, and they're already doing all of these things, but there's a much broader audience in play. And and so you can kind of get down a rabbit hole a little bit, and it's important to have that breath. And, and, and so along those lines, I want you to comment, and this is kind of, I think it's called reading your own book. Why do you think it's important for people like me? And we have internal marketing and Lily's a total rock star, but to have a third party consultant who's also working with other managers, industries, assets, et cetera. What perspective does that provide in your opinion? I learned so much from my clients. One of the cool things about how we structure our relationships is it's extremely collaborative. You know, this isn't me just coming in and saying, I know all. Listen to me, follow what I say, and you will succeed. That's not how it works. I love working with clients that have ideas and they get excited about it. They are living and breathing their product, their company, their industry every single day. I know marketing. And so if you can come to me with ideas, that is phenomenal because, you know, you guys are the ones researching. You guys are the ones seeing what other people in your industry are doing. We can help figure out how to make that happen for you and what that looks like for you. And so that's where, you know, when I'm working with clients, that's extremely important for there to be this collaborative nature to what we're doing. And not, I'm not going to ever be the person who's just telling you all day long what you need to do. I will tell you best practices to figure out the strategy that we're trying to accomplish at that time. It And to, to add on to that, 
I really value when we're bumping up against a problem, like something's not working or campaign's not functioning like we think it should, or we're not getting the response. I like being able to, I like bothering Meredith on a pretty regular basis. So being able to slack Meredith and say, hey, like, what are your other people doing here? What's been working? What's not been working? What are we not thinking through here? That's really powerful because you're drawing on, I don't know how many clients you have now, but all these different perspectives and energies that people are putting into it, we're all trying to accomplish the same thing, right? So I I really enjoy that aspect of it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really cool when we're all kind of part of the same community and I think everyone wants to support each other. There's only so many investments. You can do a Hints Capital Club. That's, you know, we want to provide the end of the day value to our clients. Um, And there's a lot of, you know, my clients that y'all probably share some LPs. And so it's important to be able to collaborate across both of them and just kind of see what's working there, what's not working. And great, if we marketing, I say it all day long, it's a bunch of experimentation. (laughs) You don't know if it's going to work until you try it. So sometimes we can try it with one client and then try it with another. And, you know, it may work for one, not for the other, but we can always keep growing and learning from each other. Yeah, we've definitely done some things that have not worked. (laughs) You always will. And it's about just being okay with that and picking yourself up and saying, all right, what's next? So let's let's move along with that theme. I mean, what do you think is next in the industry? What do you see coming down the pike? Facebook seems to be losing its allure. There's a lot of regulatory issues with ads that are being thrown out there, cookies and Apple and this big tech sandbox fight that's coming down. I think even that means it's even more important to have your own contacts, your own information, your own internal database, right? Is that the takeaway? Yeah. I mean, you know, with some of my clients right now, I was actually a startup, so ads are actually pretty relevant for them. Um, I was trying to set up ads and Facebook literally kept rejecting everything I was doing because of how I was trying to target all of their rules, all their regulations. And I'm just banging my head against a wall. Because I can't target the the people I'm trying to target. Um, they're not letting me put out the messages we need to put out. Um, and it's just getting more and more complicated. Uh, and so it just makes me always come back to, you know, how much I love content marketing. Um, and I think just within this space, beefing that up and, you know, standing out among the rest of your, I, I call them peers. Um, I think everyone's peers within this space. But One of the things we haven't even talked about that I think there's a lot of lot of room for improvement um, within this space is figuring out how to optimize deal process. That was one of the things that we did for Excelsior. I know there's a lot of you guys out there that are using Google Sheets. Maybe you don't aren't even on Google Sheets. You're using Excel to manage, you know, people (laughs) that are coming in that you're reaching out to. And so that would be one of the areas that I would really encourage people to start investing some time and resources in is just optimizing that process so that, I mean, this is why Brian can do podcasts all day because he's no longer taking calls. He's not spending time trying to follow up with people, scheduling meetings. He can send everything out that an investor needs to know about a potential deal so that they can make an educated decision on their own without having to hop on a call. They can click a button and they can invest. And that frees up so much time, maybe too much time, Brian would say. (laughs) Yeah, I've definitely been through moments where and and I think a lot of entrepreneurs who have had success feel this at some point. I mean, you've been grinding on this thing for over a decade, and then you get to a point where you have really great people working around you, right? So we've got an awesome team. We've leveraged all this technology. We have these systems and processes so that, to Ashley's point, it, it the machine moves really smoothly 
most of the time. I mean, there's always hookups. And then there are, there are moments where you're like, well, what am I supposed to do now? Cause you're used to just doing everything. Right. And that's been something I've had to work through emotionally because I've always thought the harder I work, the more it will improve. But I'm now, I mean, I work hard, but I now think this just frees me up to think more high level in terms of how I can continue to improve the investor journey, the investor experience, improve the team, like make sure the strategy is executing and kind of take my ego into the back seat and say, okay, well, I've got great people executing on these other things. I don't need to micromanage, but it's, that can be a very hard transition. I'm sure you've gone through that with other groups and entrepreneurs. I would say that is the one area that people are the most hesitant about allowing us to touch. Y'all are kind of unique. And so that's why I wanted to highlight that here, because I think that has also been one of the biggest, most successful initiatives we have done with you guys. I mean, how many, how long did it usually used to take you to? <laughs> we did this on the Juniper Square. You can go check it out on LinkedIn or whatever, but then we did an awesome interview with, with them about all the systems that you and Jared and Meredith put into place. But I mean, we used to send out manual emails. I had a list, I had an Excel file with 150 people on it. And I would type out the, e I would copy and paste the email. Then I put the subject line and then I would parentheses their name. So that I didn't keep getting the same email thread back. And it would take me a couple hours to knock that out when we had a new offering. And it was totally hide the ball, right? It was totally like, here's the one pager. Here's some bullet points. Can we set up a time for a phone call or a coffee meeting? And it just was just arduous for everybody. Like it was brutal for me and I'm sure it was brutal for the investors. They're like, why can't I just find out about this opportunity? I may not be interested, but like you're not giving me anything to know. And so I have to go through this, what I call kabuki theater of scheduling the time to talk or the coffee and then giving them the model when they wanted and then going through the Q&A. And yeah, I mean, I, th I think finally we, we took a step back and we realized, okay, what does that investor journey look like? And how can we make it super simple and efficient for their time? And they don't necessarily want to hear me pontificate about something for 30, 40 minutes. And it was crazy. Like we turned that machine on, I guess, in January of last year. And I remember we raised the deal in 12 hours, I think. I think everyone's head was just spinning at that point. <laughs> I think Lily was on the team at that point and it was like her first deal that we were a part of. And she was like, oh, this is awesome. It's so easy. I'm like, well, <laughs> this is taking like eight years of trial and error to get here, but it's pretty incredible. I mean, I think it goes back to what you were saying in this industry. There's a lot of egos and a lot of people think, well, they have to have a call with me. <laughs> I have to sell the deal um, for it to be successful and for people to invest. But the fact is, is just as a society, as technology evolves, people expect to be given everything on the front end now. They expect to have everything they need to make an educated decision without having to talk to you. Well, yes, it's wonderful and lovely to have conversations with you, Brian. You know, I can get everything I need from watching a video or, you know, reading a one pager or shout out to Juniper Square or having that data room that everyone can, you know, see everything they need and quickly make an investment from that stuff. There's so many crowdsourcing platforms out there now. That's just how people are, you know, becoming more and more they're expecting to invest that way. And so if you aren't updating <laughs> your investor process to match people's expectations, see ya. I mean, someone else is going to be doing it better and, you know, they're going to have a deal similar to yours. Um, it's just creating a better experience for them. And at the end of the day, that's what's going to win them over. And that's where technology has really changed the game in a lot of ways because it's made everything much more efficient, right? Before there just weren't a lot of economical, efficient options to to send out a mass email with a Dropbox link, with a drone footage, with a recorded pitch, 
I mean, all these things that we do now were just inconceivable five, six, seven years ago. Um, but it's, it's also interesting because those are now table stakes. I think for a lot of people in my business, it's like, well, where do we go next and how do we continue to do this? You know, we're always thinking, how can we make it easier? How can we make it more efficient for everybody involved? And that's why we rely on experts like you. Yeah. So, I mean, that would be the the one takeaway I'd say is just, you know, if you take the time to invest in, you know, your external marketing, your brand, all of that, that's fantastic. And I think everyone needs to do that, you know, within the t- this industry, that's that's low hanging fruit. But if by the time, you know, you have these incredible blogs, you have this incredible lead list, you can't deliver on the experience, then you're still not going to be successful. So, I mean, like I said, I apply kind of product marketing to this. This is your product. You have to have a successful or easy, smooth user experience. You're not going to download an app if you have to call the founder to get the link, to get the app, to download it to your phone, and then, you know, have to use your phone number and your email. It's just, it makes no sense. And so why not apply the same practices to your investments. And I think that's what ultimately it has to be smooth from, you know, being able to read an incredible blog to being converted on the website to being able to invest in in the deal. Removing the friction. Mm -hmm. So lightning round, biggest lesson you've learned as your own entrepreneur, small business owner journey? I don't know all. I started my company and I always said I would never hire anyone. It was just going to be me. I could handle everything. Um, And I sit here staring at my incredible, incredible employee, Meredith. Um, She'll be a a victim on here soon. Don't worry. We're going to get her on here. We've mentioned her a couple of times, but she was one of the best things I ever did for my company. You know, my brother, who I don't want to admit it, said something really, really smart one time. Um, He said, if you hire someone, will you be able to do 2x of what you're doing or will you be able to do 5x? And, you know, with Meredith, I mean, we can do 5x plus. We can just be extremely efficient in everything that we're doing. And so hiring the right people is, I mean, that's going to take you everywhere. And that that's one of the biggest things I think I've learned that I'm not the best. And there's other people that can really make you incredible and your company incredible. How do you explain to people that marketing is not sales and vice versa? They work very, very closely. I always say that marketing and sales need to be best friends. You know, there needs to be a smooth, natural handoff. And so, you know, when it comes time for sales, we should, if we did our job correctly, this person should be ready to have a good conversation with you. We're not the ones obviously having the conversation with a client, but if we do our job, we've given them every bit of content. So whether that's someone coming in inbound or whether that's someone looking to invest in a deal, we've done everything that we've needed to do to naturally be able to hand them off to sales. And so that's where they need to be best friends. But there's a lot, there's a lot of industries. There's a lot of companies where sales and marketing do not talk. And, you know, that's where the breakdown happens. Marketing needs to basically tee sales up to be able to take it and run with it and be able to close. We've come a long way. If there's one thing in 2022 that you would encourage us to do more of, what would it be from a marketing perspective? I think really hone in on who we're trying to target. I think we get really excited with quantity. And so I think being extremely targeted and, you know, figuring out who is that person that we're really trying to reach, provide the investment opportunities that are going to speak to that person, start thinking about the content that is really going to speak to that person as well. I think, you know, sometimes when we see 
a huge uptick in inbounds. Sometimes we can get a little too broad. Um, and so I think, you know, it can always be good to kind of come back to your roots, figure out, you know, what is it that we're trying to do and get refocused. So I think there's always opportunity for that within every company. Are the rumors true that you're the one who encouraged me to grow my hair out? Definitely not. That was not part of my brand marketing plan, but you know, it's working for you. Now I'm the guy with the long hair. You are. You have your own That's persona. It's great. We need a, a caricature of you. So Ashley, thank you for joining me today. This is fun. This is this is my karma. I made you do this. This is <laughs> this is this is this is you were the one who admitted I made you do this and I'm going to come in and do a conversation. Here I am. This is this this is my very first podcast, which is makes me Is laugh. it really? Yeah, like I as said. As a guest? As a guest. Uh, wow. Like I said, I have the worst marketing ever. <laughs> but it means you have a good product, I guess. I guess. I don't know, but I, I don't spend any time on me. I'd rather focus on my clients. Yeah, so, yeah, but yeah. this has been fun. So if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way? I guess you can go to my old website. <laughs> but no, it's clearstartcreative.com or you can shoot me an email at ashley at clearstartcreative.com. We'd love to chat. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining the conversation on Colloquium. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review. And stay tuned for our next episode coming soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.